Have you thought about becoming a career coach, but not sure what it's really like? Not sure how to get started? Well, we've got you covered. Let's drop into this week's conversation of how to become a career coach. Welcome to the How to Become a Career Coach podcast. I am particularly excited for today's topic, or rather set of topics, really, because one of the things that we see every single day is that brand new career coaches or even career coaches that are in the first stages of their business make the same mistakes over and over and over again. And a lot of these mistakes don't have to be made. And I brought with me today someone who gets to see a lot of these mistakes in action in a variety of different ways because he talks to every single person that is incoming into our professional career coach program, whether they're just checking it out or they're brand new and becoming enrolled in the program. So he gets to interact with all of these newer coaches and be able to see firsthand how these mistakes show up. And these are all of the areas that get tripped up. So welcome to How to Become a Career Coach, Philip Mianko. Hey, Scott. Thanks for having me on the on the podcast. I appreciate it. And awesome to finally to chat with everybody who's coming in. This is a pre-hello to eventually talking to you. But as Scott mentioned, every day I'm in conversations with aspiring or new or even established coaches. And as you can imagine, (laughs) it's a lot of conversations. And time and time again, I keep seeing the same. I mean, well, I just like to group everything together. So I really grouped it into like seven of the top things I see that that either restrict folks from becoming amazing coaches, maybe even trip them up from starting, or maybe even trip them up from having a profitable coaching business. And time and time again, it's the same things that pop up. Sometimes they sound a little bit different. Sometimes they're wearing different clothes or maybe they just all bunch together. But it's just interesting how you see the same things happen over and over again that really we can help prevent, but help get you into that becoming an amazing, amazing coach or help you to really establish that new coaching business. And like I mentioned, there are seven. the, I'll just start at the top because I could start any place, but we'll start right at the top. So what I see happen the first time and what I really see is happening with most new coaches is they often feel like they have to know all the things or know everything. And it's often because they or how I see it and how I see it show up is they're not really focusing on becoming a really good coach. They're just focusing on having to know everything about every single industry and every single job. So often what it sounds like is, or how I hear it, is that I feel like someone's going to come from me from the rocket science industry, and then I'm not going to know anything, and I don't know their particular industry. So how do I help that person? And how do I help them get to their dream career? And I find that really happens because everybody that I talk to, they really just want to genuinely help people. And they want to genuinely help people who are coming to them with problems. So Often, that's something I see that we have to know all the things and have to know all the industries and only but really not focusing on just becoming a really good coach. Scott, do you see that happen a lot? Yeah. And here's what I hear you saying is that these people who are new coaches or establishing new coaching businesses, they're coming and they're 
asking what I would consider to be somewhat obscure questions in some ways, because they're asking the what if type questions. Well, what if this happens? What if the I get the person who is a rocket scientist? And I don't know anything about rocket science. How am I going to help that person? So I really have to know how to help rocket scientists in order to begin coaching. Okay. All right. So that's what I need to find. That's what I need. To, and then inevitably that person doesn't start or doesn't focus their energy on, as you said, just becoming a really good coach. So yeah, I absolutely see that. And what I found is that a a much better approach that helps you focus more on just becoming a really good coach is to think about it this way. Think about it as almost any other profession. And you and I have had this conversation in the in the past too, yeah. Yeah. that a really amazing coach or a really amazing career coach can help anybody in any profession or verily nearly all of them. And much the same way as if you think about it like, well, when you take your car to a mechanic, there are mechanics who uh, specialize in certain areas. Like, for example, you know, I've taken my car to a mechanic who specializes in foreign imports like Mercedes and BMW, and that's primarily what they work on. So they've got a little bit more information in that particular area. But really, even if I take my car into a regular mechanic and the mechanic is just amazing at what he or she does, then they're probably going to be able to diagnose what's wrong with my car. And they're probably going to be able to help me understand what to do about it. And they're probably going to be able to fix it. In almost all cases, they're not going to need to know that little bit extra information, or they're going to be able to understand a really good mechanic is going to be able to understand how to find out and how to help anyways. And if you think about that, it starts to sound absurd. Like what if (laughs) the whole rocket scientist thing is a little bit like saying, well, you know what? I need to find a mechanic who only works on 1972 Volkswagen vans. Like that's the only thing that they do. And not just 1972 Volkswagen vans, but 1972 Volkswagen vans that came off the first month of production that are painted red. (laughs) And that sounds absurd, of course, but that's the way that we have a tendency to think about it in reverse when we're new career coaches. And we think about, well, what if this happens? What if somebody comes to me that they want to move from operations into HR? What are all the things I'm going to need to know about HR to serve that person instead of focusing all of our energy on how do I just become a really effective coach across the board to be able to serve a variety of different people? One of the other things we find super helpful there too is that sometimes having a perspective that is outside the industry is extremely helpful. Sometimes we'll be so siloed in what we're doing. So if I'm a rocket scientist coach helping somebody rocket scientist and get out of that profession into it, all I'm going to think about is those solutions. And often what we find is having solutions that are sometimes just not as typical. And that's actually what is a little bit more helpful. And sometimes what clients are actually seeking is that outside perspective that's a little bit different. Yeah. So that's one. Yeah, absolutely. So I think the solution here is changing your mindset to be able to then 
focus your energies on essentially not worrying about trying to know all of the things at once and just focus on on the small amount of stuff that allows you to become a really great coach, which you know a few of the things that we teach in our program are mastering how to have really amazing coaching conversations, which really there's only five parts to it when when you think about it. And mastering each of those five parts makes you and turns you into a really amazing coach, which then you can help a variety of people from radiologists to rocket scientists and everything that happens to be in between. So what else? What else do you see people getting tripped up against? What's number two in your list of seven? Oh, good. All right. Getting back to number two. So number two is getting tripped up in what I like to call ideation land instead of finding paying clients. So <laughs> what does this ideation mean, land mean? And what, is all these, what do all these things mean? It's more of, I talk to so many people and they're like, oh my gosh, Phil, I've got this idea. I'm going to help these kinds of people. I see my coaching business working like this. I see all these kinds of things happening. I would love to go and conquer the world with my coaching business and help people find work they love, but they actually haven't helped anybody yet. Or they've only helped free clients so far. And we'll get to that one next. But what I find here is that people, they have all these ideas and aspirations and really want to do it, but actually haven't made any steps to doing it. And so they get tripped up in all like the small micro decisions. Instead of going back to what Scott was mentioning, and really one of the core fundamentals we teach in our program is to go and have the conversations. I think people get tripped up so much because ideation land can be super comfortable. And it's fun too. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. And you just want to make sure it's super safe and have everything in place before you actually go and start talking to people. Scott? Yeah, this is a really interesting one, partially because I've experienced this. I mean, you and I talk about this regularly, partially because some of our core strengths fall into ideation. Yeah. This is something that we gravitate towards anyways. And if we're not careful, both you and I, like we could spend all day coming up with big ideas, partially because it's comfortable, as you said, partially because it's fun. And that doesn't necessarily, at the end of the day, help anybody. It doesn't help those potential clients that we could be helping make big shifts in their career and their life. It doesn't help our business happen to your career and the professional career coach brand. It doesn't help. It doesn't help anybody, quite frankly, <laughs> if that's the only thing that we're doing or we're spending the bulk of our time there, even though you know we might be really good at it and it might be really fun. So one of the ways that I see this happen, and this is something that's really, really common. I've had this conversation probably 30 or 40 times over, and I would be willing to bet that you probably have too. Have you had the conversation where someone's like, hey, so I've got all of these different ideas, and you said this part first, but what I think I want to do is I think I want to help women breaking into the technology industry, but also at the same time, I want to help those organizations that are in the technology industry, particularly those ones that are in San Francisco. And I also want to get into keynote speaking because I think I could help all three of these areas. And while that may be true, that may be true that you know you could help all three of these areas, it doesn't necessarily move you any place to be able to think about it in that way. What would be more helpful 
is just focusing on helping a few clients initially and have, as you said, Philip, having those conversations that lead to uh, paying clients. And here's the reason why we focus on conversations, since you mentioned that a little bit earlier. We find that much the same way that when you're getting a job, you have to, the shortest route to getting a job is you must at least have an interview. Don't always have to send in an application. Don't always have to exchange a resume. In certain circumstances, you don't have to do either of those. But in every situation, to get a desirable job, you're going to have to have some kind of interview or that some type of uh, interview-like exchange for them to be able to say, hey, we'd like to offer you a position, and here's the money and benefits and everything that goes along with it. It doesn't happen without some kind of interview. So paying coaching clients don't happen without some kind of conversation. They can, and we can get into that with really advanced businesses, and there's other ways to do it. But in almost all cases where you're a brand new coach and you want to establish clients, that's something that's a must-have prior to getting into that, that paying client type situation. So we focus our energy and effort on how do we get to more conversations? And in this particular case, less ideation and more just going and asking people to have conversations and volunteering to, to help and have those types of interactions with them is going to be far more useful than trying to figure out the perfect plan that's going to allow you the perfect amount of revenue and use all your uh, skills and experiences and everything and mesh them together. Yeah. Is that, is that fair to say? Yeah, that's totally fair to say. And I, I'd say one of the biggest things is we have so many people who come to us who are already naturally having these conversations, whether it be with coworkers or friends of friends or friends. And so really what we see is the people that I talk to are having these conversations, are getting a lot of value from them, from the people that they're talking to, but it it's really comes from the place of just starting and just starting to have those conversations. It really goes into the third thing I see that happens so much, which is converting those, we call them the pro bono clients, those clients that you're practice clients. Your practice clients, exactly. And converting them into paying clients. And if I had to pick out of the seven that I've heard the most so far, I think it might be this one, the third one, maybe. Well, I might see all the other ones. But what I see so much happening is that the people that I talk to, they're so naturally good at helping people and they love doing it. I'm sure many of our listeners and many of the people that I talk to, they can't stop themselves. They're having these conversations all the time. They're having it with people at the grocery store. They're having with their son's friends. They're having them with coworkers. But a lot of it is just giving a lot of free advice, which is great. But for many of the people I talk to, they also aspire to have their own coaching business. So when I see it trip up or I see where I see it show up so much is converting those people to actually paying clients. And what that means is working with them for a bit and then bringing them on on a full-time coaching basis and either working with them through a certain situation they might have going on, have working with them month to month, whatever that might look like. And I see it happen a lot because people often want to honor their relationship that they've had with coaching and not let money possibly get in the way. Or we haven't had enough practice having those, what can sometimes be uncomfortable conversations, which is like, okay, now give me the money. Time to give me the money now. And it can be something that can be uncomfortable, like I was mentioning, but also just something new. Well, and I think here's how that can look too. 
let's say that you're in that situation right now, or that very likely you're going to be in that situation in the near future, and you have somebody that you've been working with, that person is receiving some kind of benefit from you. They've been having a good experience. You've been helping them out, and they've been vocal about that. And you want to continue working with them, but also, you know, you only have so many hours in a day and you know that what you want to run is actually a coaching business in some capacity and not a charity. And here's one of the things that I find about that exact thing. The better that you're doing running your business or running a business of any kind and the more profit that you're earning, that actually allows you to do a better job of being able to provide time or monetary resources in the form of charity later on. So it is actually in your best interest and many people's best interest too, if you're ensuring that you're doing very well from a profit standpoint too. Okay, so that in mind, here's how that can look. And I'll just give you some very simple verbiage that can help you move from a practice client situation, pro bono, into a paying client situation. Part of this is requiring that you're practicing what many of your clients might need in drawing good, solid boundaries too, which is something many people struggle with. Okay, so here's how that might sound. It might sound something like, hey, you and I have been working together. Let's say that your client's name is Terry. Why Terry? I don't know. But hey, Terry, you and I have been working together for you know, a month now. And it seems like you've been getting a lot of benefit. You've shared with me that you most recently got this job interview that you felt very prepared for. You also at the same time got the interview itself after we had talked about how to modify your resume in a way that was going to be effective for allowing the recruiter to be able to see it. And I had a ton of fun working with you. You know, we talked about initially when we came on board and we talked about, you know, you coming on as a pain or would you coming on as a practice client? And that has been amazing. I would love to continue to work with you if you believe it's going to continue to be helpful with you. Cause I think that I can absolutely help you get the job that you're looking for. And it would function very, very much the same. So here's what I'd like to propose. We're going to have this session that we're currently just about to do. And then additionally, you know, I'd be happy to work with you for another half an hour for anything that you need. And then if you find that you want help beyond that, then that's great. That's amazing. I'd be thrilled to help. But also at the same time, uh, I can help you understand what that would cost. And specifically, we could chart out what a longer term engagement would look like. Is that something you're interested in? And here's the great thing. At that point in time, Terry can say yes or no. If Terry's not interested in, wouldn't you rather know up front? Like that's, that's a huge gift. That's amazing because you don't want to continue to wonder or you don't want to be helping Terry for the rest of Terry's life for free. That's not necessarily helpful to you or Terry. And if Terry is interested, then guess what? It's just become a different kind of conversation. It's become a different kind of conversation because now Terry is giving you permission and asking for that conversation. Now Terry is asking you to be able to share how you can continue to help and what that would cost and what the details would involve with that longer term engagement, as we called it. So it shifts the context of the conversation. And now Terry's invited you 
at this point or said, yes, I would love to find out more about what that would look like. And then that allows you to be able to say, okay, well, let's finish our conversation today and let me continue to help here. And let's set up actually a separate conversation to talk about how I can continue to help. Would that work? And then again, you're getting permission from Terry. And that's that's it. That's one really simple way to be able to move into a now paying conversation from somebody that you uh, didn't anticipate to pay at all because you engaged them as a pro bono client. Does that help illustrate, Philip? I think 100%. So if you are listening right now and you think that script would be super helpful, hit pause, then rewind and write down that exact script because that's exactly what we teach in our program and from our events to help people convert those free clients into paying clients. So it's extremely helpful. It's super simple. And it really helps put your client in a very solution-oriented basis, but it also starts drawing your boundaries. Because one thing that we know is that's not the first and last time that you're going to have to draw boundaries. And if you start it there on the very first time, it helps really establish that relationship there and moving forward. What's number four? I'm glad you asked because I might be the most guilty of this one. What I see new coaches get tripped on all the time is they want to design all these fancy things from, oh my gosh, my website's going to look like this. I'm going to do Facebook ads. And then they also worry about wanting to have this personal brand. Like I need to have this personal brand of the guy who solves people's problems and helps people enjoy work and everything they do instead of going back and you might've heard this one before, instead of going back and having those conversations, I see people so much coming. And like I mentioned, guilty as charged. I had the prettiest website. I tweaked it. I made sure all my colors were great. My picture was great. It had my, me smiling on the front, but it was just ways for me to stall instead of going and actually talking to people. And I was really worried that what if somebody sees a website or a typo on my website? Or what if they see maybe the wrong picture there or something like that? And I was so caught up in my head of making sure I had all of these fancy, for lack of a better term, distractions and having all these shiny objects that I forgot what it was really all about. And it was actually about helping people having those conversations because I wanted to make sure I was coming off professional and like I felt that I knew what I was doing. So I see that one happen a lot. And especially, like I mentioned, guilty as charged. Scott, have you seen that happen to, I know you've seen that happen to me. We've had these discussions about, about this. I definitely talk about this in one of the books that I wrote, the How to Become a Career Coach book, where that's, that's how I learned WordPress, actually, because I also made the mistake for a period of time where I was very much into, how do I look professional? I wanted to look professional. I don't know why I so badly wanted to look professional because I have, this is not my first business. And in other businesses, I didn't make this mistake where I spent all my time and effort trying to look professional. Instead, I just went and helped people and provided services. And that allows your business to grow much faster other than just looking professional and you know, coming up with all your personal brand before actually beginning to help people. And you know, proof positive, I think of one person in particular who before we hit the record button, you and I had mentioned her name. I don't remember why she came up, but you know, Trish, who went through our very first version of our PCC program, our professional career coach training and certification program. And you know, Trish, when she 
went through, I remember having a conversation with her at about the halfway point. And Trish had, I think, probably like 10 or 12 clients by that point. She'd added a variety of clients. Trish didn't even have a website. And didn't have a website, didn't have business cards, didn't have didn't have any of these things necessarily whatsoever. And she already had clients. And even so, even though she already had clients, which is what we want, because that's part of what brings in revenue and it's part of what allows us to be able to help people at a different level. When you have that type of relationship where someone is paying you to help, that's a great dynamic to have. But she still felt the need. So much so that I need to create my website. I need to do all these other things. I need to have the advertisements. I need to. It's like, no, Trish, it's actually okay for where you're at in your business. It's okay that you don't have a website. You, you're already bringing in clients. That's okay. And there's nothing wrong with that. But that's how ingrained it is into many of us that we feel like we have to do all these things rather than just go have conversations, rather than just go help. So really appreciate your point on that. What is number five? Number five is people, they often get tripped up on being worried about how they communicate their value and how do you communicate value in a conversation that you've been honestly doing for free for so long. I see this happen so much. They go, well, Philip, how do I really explain the value of what I'm doing? I talk to people in my family. I talk to my friends. They have no idea what career coaching is. Nor when I tell my spouse that I really want to leave my job and start a career coaching business. But what? How do you how is that gonna be valuable? You've been having these conversations for free for so long. And it shows up so much because people, I believe, and how I hear it, they don't find what they're doing valuable or valuable enough for for other clients or potential clients to give them money. And it comes back to a lot of things we said in drawing those boundaries. But also being very, maybe very, but just being confident in you're actually helping people. And some days you have good days and some days are not as good. But at the end of the day, what you're trying to do is actually help people and help people with from what all we know is something that's very difficult in life. And I see this happen so much where they see the value, they know the value, but now they're at a place where they're trying to communicate that. But they're trying to communicate that to so many people, almost like everybody in the entire world. And it comes back, and I always think about it as, you know, some people might find it valuable and others won't. And that's totally okay. Like everybody, you know, I'm trying to think of a product in my head, and I heard a good one the other day. But it's almost like, Scott, you might, you might have a better one than me, but like... Feel free to tag in as I'm thinking of a good product. Well, I think as you're, as you're thinking about whatever product it was, you know, something that helps me tremendously is to go back to what is actually value in the first place. That's a word yeah. that gets tossed around all over the place, and it's overused in my opinion. That said, you know, value is just something that is valuable to someone. And if I start thinking about along those lines, what is valuable to someone, then I start to realize that if I help somebody make a change and they get a you know, 10, 20, 30, $40,000 increase in, in job, is that valuable? Yeah, of course. That's directly monetarily valuable to them, literally, and even physically valuable. But we can get more intangible than that. You know, if I help somebody make a change, 
to a new role that actually is a much better fit for their strengths, what they want out of their life, and that impacts their quality of life, is that valuable to that person? Yeah, it's a pretty safe bet that that's probably very, very valuable to that person. And different people will place different amounts of value on that. But still, it's hard to argue that those types of things are valuable. It's hard to say no, that that is not going to be valuable in either of those scenarios. So once I start to understand like what really is value and what creates a situation that is valuable, then I begin to realize, well, yeah, of course, once we reduce it to what is the problem or challenge that I'm actually solving for somebody or helping them solve, then it's easier to understand that this is valuable to them. And then once I know that, I can begin to focus on how do I communicate that value? And most new coaches think that when I'm having a conversation where I'm going to convince them to work with me, that's often how people think about it. I'm going to convince them to work with me. I'm going to say all these things that are valuable to them, and then they're going to want to work with me. And in reality, that's not at all how it happens. Instead, how it happens is I don't want to do any convincing. When I'm working with somebody in this type of service capacity, It requires that I have a high degree of trust with them and I have a good relationship with them. So I don't want to convince them or force them into buying from me in any way whatsoever. That's actually counterproductive later on when I'm trying to offer them the service. So instead, I want to look at it is how do I understand what they need? How do I ask really good questions to understand what they need, which sounds strangely like the coaching questions I might ask as a coach, right? So how do I do more of that? How do I do more of the coaching and trying to understand and pull out what they need? And then how do I reflect that back to them to make sure that I'm showing them that I understand what they need and providing them a path or a solution for how coaching can help? And that's actually all I have to do. So the way that that might look is I initially ask those questions, questions like, what do you feel like you need the most help with? Where are you getting stopped up? Where are you getting, where are you struggling right now? What do you feel like is stopping you? Those types of questions to really understand where they need help. And then after I understand what they need help with, I can communicate that back to them and ensure that we're both on the same page. It sounds like you need the most help with being able to create a a resume that's tailored to each situation that you're applying for. Or it sounds like you need help trying to identify where your strengths could be a great fit in the world. And if I share that back with them, that actually allows me to have a dialogue with them. And they can say, yeah, that's exactly what I need help with. Or they might say, no, it's that, but it's also these other things. Either way, it allows us to get to agreement. Because once I've gotten to agreement about what they need help with, it becomes a lot easier from there. Because then I can say, yeah, I actually help with exactly that. That's what I can do. And you know, that's exactly what I help with. We're going to help you identify your strengths and then be able to connect them back in the world to where other organizations and opportunities can benefit from those types of strengths and your type of tendencies. And that's how we would work together. So initially, then this is where I can begin laying out the path, by the way, I can describe to them what I think that that's going to take. 
And even if I'm unsure, I can still I can still help them create a pathway. So we would work together over the course of the next two months. We would do a weekly coaching session, and that would allow us to be able to identify your strengths and then begin experimenting with how and where I can tangibly put those to good use in the world. Does that sound like something that would be beneficial to you? And then they can say yes or no. If they say yes, then I can begin to describe what I would charge for that. Philip, does that help provide a little bit of the scripting for how that could look in a in a situation? Yeah, I think it does. And didn't think of a product, but on another note, I think for all of our listeners and all the future people we talk to, what he was doing right there was the sales part. And so what I hear so much is people are talking about, hey, how do I close the sale? How do I close that deal so I can start working with people? And this might be the second point where you need to stop, rewind, and hear how Scott really got people to agree to work with him, but also wasn't trying to convince them to work with him, but was showing them the value by listening, by having those conversation pieces, and being confident about what he can do, and ultimately gaining the trust to bring somebody on. Because having those trust pieces and having those coaching pieces, that's what's actually important and not what so many people think about as sales. By the way, these are the types of things that we cover inside our professional career coach program. This is just a, a tidbit of what we do on a consistent basis in there. And I'm curious what the next piece is that you see on a regular basis here that gets coached is tripped up. What is that? Yeah, I'd say this is like the second one that, that I see that happen the most often. And it's often I see people get tripped up on that word out there, marketing. And they're trying to do everything when it comes to marketing, when it comes to Facebook ads or Twitter ads or Instagram, or they want to be on LinkedIn or they want to send people um, emails or they want to start their own podcast. But wait, 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 they need to start doing webinars too. But they want to do all of these things and yet they haven't done one or they're, not, they're doing a whole bunch of them and they're not doing them very well. And so what we find is that they just what people keep wanting to do is try all of the marketing things so they can get their message out there in all these ways. But I hear it so much. I know I should be doing Facebook ads, but I don't like Facebook. Or I know I should be doing Instagram ads, but I'm not really that kind of technical person. Or I really want to start a podcast, but honestly, I like speaking in front of crowds. And so we get I hear this so much and I get these people get tripped up on what they believe they should be doing instead of what they actually want to do and where the people who they're looking to help are actually hanging out. So one of the biggest solutions I see for this is the people that you're working with, ask them where they spend their time. See, do they actually really go to Facebook to go find coaching or really go on Instagram to find those things? Are they listening to podcasts? Are they watching TED Talks? Are they listening to webinars? All those kinds of things. And the other part is coming back to what you want to do. If you ever try to learn Facebook ads before, it's not that fun. Or try to do all those other things. If ultimately you do not want to do it, it's going to become even harder to keep those things up. So do what naturally comes to your strengths, but also that, that you find enjoyment from. And I think for us, podcasting has been super enjoyable, which I definitely agree with that. We're doing it right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We recently did a live event called 
level up your coaching business live. And one of the people that we had there, her name was Rosa. And Rosa very much strongly felt like I needed to I need to be doing all of these other things that all these other coaches were doing, but I don't feel like they're actually me. And instead, Rosa is actually a really great speaker. And what we encourage her to do is lean into that really hard as a strategy to be able to build relationship with potential clients. One, because it can be an effective strategy. And two, because it's already hard enough building a coaching business in any way, and you don't need to be pushing a boulder uphill on top of it, which is usually what happens when you give in to the all the things you feel you should be doing. So on that note, what's the very last thing an area that people get tripped up when they're when they're in new coaching businesses or new coaches. Yeah, last but not least, they all want to really have all these fancy coaching techniques before they've really started mastering how do I help people, you know, find three different job offers and then redo their whole resume and then all these other things. And what we tell people, if there's something that we've talked about again and again, or at least I've talked about again and again, is going back and having these conversations. What I find is that a lot of the new coaches I talk to, they want to make sure that they're doing everything right, that they can, the most amazing coach in the entire world. But it honestly comes back to really having those really basic conversations and making sure that you're listening and understanding what their needs are and really how you can help them. And in the program, we've actually designed something that we call the coaching conversations model. And I'm sure Scott can definitely talk about it because he's the person who came up with it and designed it. But it's a really basic layout of how do you structure your coaching conversations? And I use it every single day. Our students use it every single day. But what we find is, is that it's a lot more simple than you think. And getting back to basics, even though I know you might not want to hear that, is actually what is best. We began this conversation before we hit the record button where you had said somebody that you're working with just got her job offer. And what I would call a relatively record period of time. It was very short, very short. And the other thing that I've heard you say over and over again is, man, just follow the coaching conversations model. Just follow the coaching conversation. Like that's all I'm doing. And it, it makes you a more effective coach. So there is all this tendency, especially since a lot of coaches tend to be learners as well. Good coaches have a tendency to want to learn more and improve themselves. There's this tendency to want to learn new things rather than going back and mastering the basics. I find the best coaches in the world, the most effective coaches in the world are those that are phenomenal at the basics. And even though that's kind of unsexy and in some ways could be boring, the most effective coaches are mastering, hey, how do I do things like get agreement at the beginning of the conversation? And how do I take the extra time and care to make sure that we're using the bulk of a coaching conversation for what is going to be most effective for that particular client at that particular time? And honestly, if you're really focused on how do I you know, move on to the next thing and the next thing and learn, the, you know, learn something new again and again, that could kind of seem boring in one way or another. However, really effective coaches know that they need 
to have that happen in every single coaching conversation. Because if that agreement doesn't happen about what is the bulk of the conversation going to be about, then you're going to experience problems as you get further along into the coaching conversation. And ultimately, you're not going to be providing the best help to your client. And that's just one small part of what we call the coaching conversations model. So that's that's the advice that I would give you is refocus your efforts on really mastering the basics. That will make you into one of the world's best coaches faster than trying to learn every single new thing and grasping at that. Philip, I really appreciate you coming on here and sharing some of these things that you see as you're having conversations for either people coming into our program or people that are new coaches in one way or another. This has been both enlightening to see all these things in one group and to talk about them in one group, but also I think very helpful to our listeners too. So I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to How to Become a Career Coach. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe in your favorite podcast player. For more resources, go to becomeacareercoach.com. Thank you.